trying to stop that, but uh, let's get into the Word today. Um, it's good to have a family that loves one another. Mark chapter 4, verse 13, this is a part two of a, of a message we started last week in this text, the soils of the heart of men. This is Jesus' explanation of the parable. We will unpack this today verse by verse. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed has sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones in whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Father, it is very encouraging to hear the voices of those whom you have plowed in their heart causes us to worship you. The great fruit of a seed of the word of God planted in a tilled heart, Lord, is worship. True, unadulterated worship, Lord. Worship that comes because you've changed our hearts and our minds. You've changed our eternal position. And so it springs forth out of us joy to sing truths, Lord, that stir us and remind us of the great truths of our living God. Jesus, we thank you that you knew who were yours. and You farmed in good soil. You know who who's are yours today. And you're still plowing hearts of men and women, boys and girls. And we would beg you that even today, Lord, you would plow our hearts. Lord, make them tender to receive your word. And Lord, if there is hearts of stone here, if there are still hearts in the thorns and, and in the rocky grounds, Lord, we would ask today that you would plow in new places. And you would open hearts to your truth. Lord, we thank you for each and every one that's here, Lord. We do think of those who could not for illnesses or procedures are going through, surgeries coming this week, Lord. Um, we ask that you would be merciful to them, Lord. And we do pray that they would be encouraged, Lord, wherever they are. And men we know, watch now, Lord. Encourage them. Know, help them know we love them, Lord. Father, be with our missionaries around the world. We love them dearly. We're so grateful for their calling, Lord. May we stand with them prayerfully, financially, spiritually, Lord, theologically. 
Lord, may we be true, uh, a true mission-minded church, Lord. Father, thank you for all these things. Now, uh, unveil your word as we teach it, Lord, and may it pierce our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started in on this text, and we began to think a little bit historically here, and we began to realize that Jesus is now surrounded by people who really do love him and are following him, but a whole host of other people. There's a religious elite that is tirelessly working for the demise of Jesus Christ. They have set their hearts against him, and their goal is to eventually kill him. You say, well, why does this happen? How how does people get where they can desire to kill a man who has healed their sick, who has cast demons out of their demonics? He has showed his authority over all creation. He's done miracles. He's sinless. He's popular. All of those things. Well, that's what this parable is about. It answers the question, why? Man has a hard heart. And it's so hard, it is impenetrable by man. And we realized last week as we looked at this that the gospel is narrow. It's a narrow gate. And the souls of men are hard. And there's only one that can plow there. It's interesting, Jesus just starts with us the pure agriculture lesson. The first eight verses have no commentary to them. Except that there's a farming lesson there. He, he, he's in the boat now that he has reserved for him. He's sitting there teaching in the boat as these people are drawn up on the shore there listening to him. He, he has been aligned um, by the religious leaders to be in league with Satan. And so now he begins to speak in parables. He's now hiding truth from them because of the hardness of their heart. The idea of the word parable, he He begins to speak that way as to lay something along something else to show truth. And so he's going to give a farming lesson, an agriculture lesson, to show how he draws people to himself. And then he starts down through these different soils, this seed that went out. He first deals with the road. He says the seed falls on the road, and then he goes to the rocky ground, to the thorny ground, and then eventually to the good soil. But before he gives an explanation, he says, I want, to know, I want you to know, disciples, why I'm hiding this truth from them. These were sharp verses, but he begins to tell us that he who has ears, he who has a heart that has been prepared to hear, will hear. He's drawn a line and a difference between those who are ready to take in truth. And clearly, it isn't hard to study this text and realize that he sees that these religious leaders, their ears have become deaf to truth. Their unbelief has shut their minds down, stuffed their ears full, and blinded their eyes. The disciples are still not quite sure what he's doing. Verse 10, they they basically say, why are you telling stories? What's going on here, Lord? How come you're speaking in parables to us? And Jesus in verse 11 says, for two reasons, to reveal truth to those who believe and to hide it from those who don't. That's his words, not mine. Verse 11, to you it has been given the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I'm going to reveal what you did not know previously. 
But to those who are outside, get everything in parables. And many of them walked away. We know that once he was alone, they began to ask him in verse 10, why are you doing this? But what was left with him was those who believed, those who understood. And he used Isaiah chapter 6 to reveal some truth here. He began to show that Israel had constantly rejected God's word. He had done everything for them. He started with a baby nation in Abraham and Sarah. Eventually, he brought them out of Egypt. He brought them through, through all the way through the desert into the promised lands. Gave them a land that was not theirs, flowing with milk and honey. And in the end, they abandoned him. And they were consumed with their own gods and their consciences become seared and their hearts became hardened towards the truth. And now, here again, in this day, just as though in the Old Testament, the word is among them again, but this time it's living. There's even a greater accountability now. The prophets brought the word of God to the the Israelites and they rejected it. But now he's here. The word, the logos, the one who knows all, has all authority, all the power, is standing in their midst. And they're rejecting him. And he begins to tell them, because your hearts are hard. And I will hide this truth from you. And this is what happens when man rejects Jesus Christ. This is the great sin against the Spirit. The blaspheme against the Spirit is the rejection of Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, the life. Christ alone, anything else is a rejection of the Spirit's work or a blaspheme against Him. And their hearts are hardened and there is no coming back. We close with Romans chapter 1 to realize that this just isn't just set for Old Testament Israel or uh, uh, New Testament believers in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But this is what God does. He has always revealed himself, Romans chapter 1. Man is without an excuse. But constant rejection from what God has wrote on their heart, he begins to give them over. And if you remember, we saw three times in Romans 1 where it says God gives them over. God gives them over. God gives them over. This is the state of the hardness of man's heart. Three soils that have no fruit. One that does. And we closed reminding ourselves that Romans 1 was us and would still be us if it wasn't the grace of God. So no way are we trying to draw lines like, oh, that's the Roman 1ers over there, we're over here. Uh, No, we would be over there if it was not for the grace of God. And he still loves to save Roman 1ers. And many of us are testimonies to that. But we also understand that sin and the rejection of Jesus Christ hardens the heart. And no man is able to penetrate the heart of another man. We must understand that. It is the work of God. So whenever, if someone gets saved in here today, it would never be the work of Scott or Riverbend or anything else. It would be the work of God. Because he alone transforms the heart. Now we roll ourselves into his explanation. Years ago when I began farming on the ranch, I was fairly new at the farming world and so I worked for a few other people in the area where we were planting a church trying to learn how to farm in those conditions. And 
uh, a neighbor of mine, his name was John Carey, is a uh, pagan, probably still to this day, um, uh, does not know the Lord, um, but he was kind to me and he helped me learn to farm the ground. And I remember this saying, I actually wrote it down. He said, always farm in good soil. If you try to farm in bad soil, you will go bankrupt. <laughs> it seems simple enough, but you would be amazed how often people try their hardest to get bad soil to grow something. It doesn't work. Years later, I was speaking with a dear friend of mine named Alex Strzok. Um, he is in Colorado, just has a ministry. We're speaking together at a conference, and he gave me some wise counsel. He said, Scott, listen to the Word of God. Ask Him to give you wisdom through the Word and spend the majority of your time working in good soil. Don't give up on the hard soil and the rocky soil, but spend most of your time working in the good soil because that's where the fruit comes from. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care about those who may be in a lost condition in any way, but you begin to realize often you will spend great amount of time working in ground that will never produce fruit. And it wears people out, and it wears churches out, wears pastors out at time. Where's, where's the fruit? Do you pray for fruitfulness in your life? Do you pray for fruitfulness in the life of Riverbend? Are we farming in good soil? Are we casting seed where we know it'll grow? Well, let's look at this explanation here, first thought here. The Messiah who plows the hearts of his children. Verse 13, it seems like this is a bit of a rebuke. He said, Jesus says to them, to the disciples, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? It seems like he's going, hey, where are you? But let me give you a word of encouragement as we look at verse 13. The disciples are still with him. Everybody else has left. Isn't that interesting? It says, verse 10, as soon as they were alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking about the parables. I think that's great. They didn't understand everything. They, didn't, they, they couldn't interpret what he was doing, but guess what they were doing? They were staying with him. There's a lot of things we don't understand, right? We learn as we go studying the Bible. We don't always understand how God does things. But do you turn your back on him? Or do you stay in front of the master? See, I love this text. This, this verse 13 jumped out at me. I go, wow, they're there. All the religious lead, everyone who thinks they know everything, ah, well, you know, that was a nice farming illustration. Let's go. The ones who love Jesus remain. They didn't understand everything. They didn't know what that was all about, why God was doing what he was doing, but they stayed. <laughs> I find great encouragement in that. Many times I've been frustrated or, 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 or at least uh, concerned, God, what are you doing? Where is this going? But you stay. You stay and you listen to the master. See, that's the word of God, putting yourself under it day in and day out. Sunday after Sunday, weekday after weekday, stay under the word because that's what's going to bring you to the saving truth that you need. And so the disciples stay. Notice in verse 14, he starts, and it's very literal, the sower sows the word. There's no parable here. There's no mystery here. He just comes out in a very short saying, I think five in the English, the sower sows the word. Simple as that. The sower sows the word. He didn't sow anything else. 
He didn't sow himself. He doesn't sow his organization. He doesn't sow his family. He doesn't sow his traditions. He doesn't sow any of that. What he sows is the word. (laughs) That's the only thing that grows in the heart of man. The word. The sower sows the word. And you notice that the sower is is not the main focus here. The main focus is the, the seed here. In fact, very little details are given of the sower. We'll add that as we think through this. But the focus is on the seed, which is the word of God, the biblical message of salvation was coming through this. Now Matthew, when you study the same uh, parable in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, verse 37 says this, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So there, Matthew says, this is actually quoting Jesus, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. He's saying, look, I'm the sower. I will sow into the heart of men. So Jesus' mission was to preach the word. That's exactly what we're told to do. His mission was preach the word. That's what changes life. That's what brings people to salvation. That's what takes care of our hurts and our, our spiritual aches. It is the word of God. That's the gospel. That's the word. But it's obvious that it, it is that it, but it was obvious to the, I think, the disciples and even to us as we look at it, that the sower is the one who gives out the word of God. So we know a little bit about it. He gives out the word of God. Now, Jesus' main emphasis here is going to be the types of soil. So the soil now represents the hearts of men. He's going to give four views of the hearts of men. And what the gospel does is it comes up against those hearts. The message of salvation is received differently. Isn't that interesting? This message that so many of us in this room hold so dearly, we sing about it, we preach about it, we, we pray it, we, we are so grateful for the gospel, we're going to see it's received so differently. Do you know that to be true? <laughs> you know that to be true in your family or, or your relationships at work, your neighbors? There is, there is a completely different way this seed is received by people. But brothers and sisters, I want you to be encouraged tonight. So many will reject it. But as we'll see in the text, there was always those ready to receive it. What encouragement that. And we'll see that this is a supernatural work of God who who allows and cultivates this response to him. And so I think this must have been encouraging to the disciples as they began to see that this gospel was going to go out to the nations. They were going to get sent out by twos and eventually commissioned to be the apostles to the early church. I think this is encouraging. But I also, I think it's very encouraging to realize, hey, this thing's going to fall on negative ears and it's going to fall on positive ears. And you're a fool if you don't catch that. (laughs) When we share the gospel with people, sometimes it comes back very negative. Who do you think I am? You don't, you don't think I'm good enough for that? You, you've all heard this, haven't you? And then there's those who say, well, you tell me more. They'll desire for that. And so he's preparing them that you're going to hear negative responses. In fact, three out of four are negative. But there's going to be those who I will draw to myself. And I think what Jesus is showing them, that God is already doing the work in the elect's heart. He's doing the work. I, I love to hear testimonies. I've heard some recently And people have said, it was amazing as I look back what God was already doing in my heart before I heard the message. 
He was taking me through things. I didn't know why. I didn't know. I really didn't believe in him. And yet he was preparing the soil. And then all of a sudden, someone shared Christ with me. And it took root. And so this gives us hope, brothers and sisters, as we think through this. Let's look at the first one, that heart of payment, verse 15. Notice these seeds, some of these ones who are besides the road. They're the soil here. Where, where the word is sown, and when they heard, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which had been sown to them. Well, like Galilee and anywhere else, there's times where uh, pavement, uh, soil can come like pavement. Um, basically, soil compaction and the molecules that make up soil, they get so tight together, there's no air, there's no water in there. And most soil, most everywhere, can be packed so that you could drive on it. It can become pavement. Jesus is going to use this analogy to show a hard heart that's not receptive to the seed. This is a callous unbelief. The Bible writes of this in many places. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. I want to mark a few passages in your minds and on your paper there to help you think through this. This is the callousness of unbelief. The soil is so tight, there's no room for for edification, there's no room for watering, there's no room for nutrients. It's so tight that it can't take in the truth. Look at Ephesians 4, 17, this great doctrinal book that helps us understand how God works. Verse 17, for this I say and affirm together with the Lord, it's interesting, This is before the Bible was completed and the Lord was teaching Paul. That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles or the ethnos or the pagans also walk. In the futility of their mind. Here that futility is a a word that means an emptiness, a uselessness, a a pointlessness of their mind. It's not going anywhere. It, It can't hold on to and understand the things of God. Being darkened in their understanding so... That denseness of the soil here is so dark, there's no light getting into it. The seed can't germinate. It's, it's a perfect passive here. It means in their past they were darkened to the truth and, and it is pressed upon them. They can't see and understand where they're going. They're excluded from the life of God. Um, that's an interesting phrase. I think that eliminates the phrase that we hear in society that aren't we all God's children? The Bible says here they're excluded from the life of God. And then it says because of the ignorance. Uh, Again, the Greek word has a a willful ignorance to it. I don't want to believe. I want to hold to what I believe that is in them because, now notice this, the hardness of their heart. There we go to that pavement heart. And then, verse 19, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over, doesn't that sound familiar, isn't it, to the sensuality for the practice of Every kind of impurity with greediness. And so there's this callousness, there's this unpenetrable layer. And that results in immorality. In sin unchecked, sin unrepented of, sin, sin of unbelief always leads to darkness. It always leads to things that further go into immorality. So the gospel is is not weak here. And I want to make sure as we turn back to our text, the gospel is not weak, but, but it is due to this, this fact of the hardening of the heart of unbelief. Now, if you continue to re- resist Christ, that becomes that hard pavement. This is, what, this is where Satan works. Notice in the verse, back when we go back to verse 
uh, 15, this is the one where Satan appears in it. Now, he's certainly involved in these first three soils in many different ways. But this is the one Christ uh, uh, connects him with. Notice in the verse of the 15, immediately Satan comes. Isn't that interesting? So as soon as that seed is cast on that pavement, that hard heart, he's there right away. He's there right away. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that in, case, in whose case the God of this world, now listen to this, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, hardened, blinded, so they can't see that. And here's why he does it. So they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. That's his job. I'm going to get that seed before they can see Christ and know that he's God. That's his goal. And unbelief prepares that soil, packs that soil. Unbelief pushes it down so there's no room for light. There's no room for water. There's no room for aeration. It packs it so tight. That's what unbelief does. Satan comes and he snatches it. This is what he's been doing uh, for a long time. Uh, Paul warns Corinthian church that there are Satan disguises himself as angels of light. I think this was the religious leaders of the day. They would come along and they would pack that soil by saying, look, if you keep this, you'll get the kingdom of God. They would pack that soil by saying, hey, don't do this, don't eat that, follow us. Put your submission and authority to us and we'll lead you to the kingdom. Pack that soil just a little more. And there probably wasn't anybody's doubt in the mind often as he went through these that the disciples knew who he was talking about. They openly opposed Jesus. That'll harden your heart. Promote a self-righteous system, that'll harden your heart. Pressure and lead people away, that'll harden hearts. This is still happening to this day. Let's move on to the next one, the shallow heart. Look at verse 16 and 70. In a similar way, these are the ones of whom seed, the soil here we're talking about, has sown on the rocky places, who when they heard the word immediately received it with joy, and they had no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when the affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. So here we find this shallow heart. The soil shallow, the seeds sprout quickly and they soon die. This is not a genuine faith at all. It's probably most linked with emotionalism. An excitement of hearing something that may be a good thing that might work out good for me. But ultimately it's a rejection of the gospel and the heart has never been plowed, plowed by God. This is human faith. This is dead faith versus a, a saving faith. This is a shallow faith and temporary. Notice in verse 17, look at there, it says, in themselves. This is why it's shallow. See, well, um, here's maybe how this would look. Well, if I go to church, maybe God would be happy with me. Maybe I go to church and I say a prayer, walk an aisle, raise a hand, do something like that. God may do something for me. I could get out of this mess I'm in. See, it's all built around themselves. And in and of themselves, the text is telling us, there is no fruit. That's why we teach about Christ alone, right? It's the only hope here. See, their hearts were never transformed because their human enthusiasm soon fades. 
And the shallowness of their commitment becomes very evident very quickly. We see this in lots of things. Uh, our dear friends, some caught in charismatic movements, are just one, one new thing after another new thing after another th- new thing. They never get taught the Word of God. They never get taught the seed that gets deep into the heart. It's, it's the next exciting emotional thing that I can get on, grab on and ride that thing for a little while until it loses its enthusiasm, and then i got to find something else. And so you get a Word of Faith movement, then you get a healing movement, and then you get new revelation movement, and then a laughing movement, and a barking movement, and it just goes on and on and on. Because that seed has never been able to get deep, deep roots into that heart. And the result is no true spiritual depth, no true salvation. Notice, because of the word, notice in verse 17, because of the word, persecution follows. Isn't that interesting? You know who's going to get persecuted in the end if the Lord doesn't return? Those who hold on to the word. There'll be a great division among the, quote, church someday. Because people are going to say, well, hey, look, we don't hold to the sufficiency. We don't believe all that marriage stuff and genders. You know, we don't believe all that. We just, you know, we're just Christians. We want to do good to people. There'll be a great division. Persecution comes because of the word. Because we will not. We're gracious and humble, but we will not go back on what our Father has told us. We believe this to be true. And though it doesn't always and very rarely resonate with the world, with the world we hold to this. <laughs> you know what it brings? Persecution. And this is what exposes the shallowness often of, of some man-made, in-themselves type of faith. Counting the cost of following a Christ exposes the lack of true interest in the gospel. Rather than suffering for the sake of God's word, they fade away at the glimpse of sign of trouble. It's difficult. It's hard. It's hard to be a Christian at times. It's hard to not just live in this world, but to deal with your own sin, isn't it? It's so easy to deal with everybody else's sin. I mean, let's get outside just to what the world thinks about our teaching on marriage and family and life and all that. Just us following Jesus Christ, is that not difficult? He says, Luke 9, take up your cross and follow me. Well, cross is death, folks. No one set crosses along the road because we're celebrating, um, you know, life or go to, go to a cemetery. It's a scandalous faith is what he's talking about. It's a shallow, scandalous faith. I've snuck in something, trying to get something from God, but I really not commit it because I don't want to go through any of that. Scandalous. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that till this week. Wow, Lord, that's cool. Because that's what happens. They have a scandalous faith. They're really not sold out. They're going to leave when things get tough. And the lack of true repentance, true righteousness, and a lack of deep love for the Savior is missing. And so this shallow faith soon fades. It fades away. And they fall away. Third, we see what I call an infested heart. Look at verses 18 and 19. The others, this is another next soil, are the ones in whom the seed has sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires, look at this, for other things, the whole list of stuff here, enter in, choke the word, and it becomes 
unfruitful. So the soil looks good here, in a sense. And like many times I have farmed, I've got into places where I try, well, maybe there's good soil, then we'll cut, we'll cut weeds down and we'll cut stuff in and we try to farm that and get into that soil. But when we put the seed in there, the seed of the, the thorns and the thistles, they grow much faster. They rob the moisture, rob all the nutrients, and the seed never germinates and you just grow a bunch of weeds. And you spent a bunch of money, you threw your seed away, you, you, all your farming and fuel and all that time you went in there and there's nothing there. And Jesus is picturing this for us. The seed can't germinate. It can't take root and so it's quickly choked out. And, he, and you notice he characterizes this, isn't this fascinating? He characterizes it by a love for the world. This, is, this hurts a little bit, I'll have to admit. You go, wow, you ask this question, maybe if you're like me, I'm studying, go, okay, Lord. Show me the love of the world in my life because I don't need it choking out my love for your word. He says here that the love of the world chokes it out. And there's, there, there's nothing more deceptive and more deadly than the love of the world. The Bible makes that clear. Listen to just a couple of verses here. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now listen to this. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. John 2, 19 says they went out with us because they're never of us. So this isn't, well, they just wandered away from faith. Maybe they'll come back. The terminology is they not, were not of us. They said they were with us for a little while. The seed, the seed was trying to germinate, but that love for the world just robbed them of it. Let's go a little farther. 1 John chapter 2 15 through 17, we don't have time to look at this, but let me just read this to you. And I want you to listen to the gape love. We know what gape love is, right? Unconditional, gripping love, okay? It's an unconditional, gripping love. So listen to this. They're all agape, agapeo words here. Do not agapeo the, the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone agapeo the world, the agapeo of the Father is not in him. Ooh. And then good to read, it's good for a Christian to read that every once in a while, right? Man, does the world have a grip on me? Do I, worst, do I have a grip on the world? Am I trying to cling on to something the world has? Because it's evidence that there is this infested heart. If it remains that way, if there's not a rejection of those things and a running to the Savior, it reminds us that there's an infected heart um, it's full of thorns and thistles that are trying to choke out that truth. And in worst case scenario, even if we're in good soil, you know worldliness will rob your joy. And I know it too. Robs your joy. The verse goes on, verse 16, for all that is in the world. Then he, he changes L words. He goes from love to what? Lust. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away with all of its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, these are the choking things, and you and I, you know, we, we venture into some soil sometimes that we should not be in. And so there is no compatibility between the love or lust, this gripping love for the world and the love for the word. And let me just say this as a key thought and then I'll move on here. One will always choke out the other. 
One will always choke out the other. Let me give you the positive. You love the Word. You love the things of the Word. It'll deal with your love for the world. It'll help you with that. It'll choke out this agapeo, this gripping love that you may have for whatever, money, I mean, what prestige, whatever, whatever the world wants. The love for the world will choke that out. But if you love the world, it will choke out the word. See, I think it's very clear one will choke out the other. Finally, we get to the heart plowed by God. And what a blessing this is. Verse 20, notice Jesus ends this parable with this. And, and those who are the ones, this is the soil, he's speaking of that good soil, of whom the seed has sown on the good soil, they will hear the word, accept the word, bear fruit by the word. I'm adding that in there, but you can see the run in it. 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So in contrast to these three bad soils, Jesus ends with this fertile soil, the soil of true conversion. And what a blessing. I mean, these are the ones whose hearts have been plowed by God. The other ones are difficult, huh? And, you know, I know the temptation as I studied this myself, and I know maybe in your mind you're thinking of a family member or, or a friend or someone like that, and, and we probably should look at this verse from our own hearts. But now think about this, brothers and sisters, as you think about this in your own heart. God's done a lot of plowing around here, hasn't he? I wouldn't be standing here if he didn't plow my heart. I'd have no desire to be a part of you. I have no desire to study and learn and dig into the word of God. It is because he plowed my heart one day. And there's a bunch of people in here that he has done that to. And he cultivated and fertilized by the Holy Spirit. And here he gets it all ready. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. One of my favorite verses when it comes to understanding this, what he did. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. Some of these verses I want to get your finger on them because I want you to memorize them and remind yourself of these truths. Paul is so grateful for the Thessalonica church. It was a church that sought the word of God and studied it for themselves. And so this is a verse that he writes about them, how grateful he is. is. And I, I would want to say this to you. If, you're, if your heart is, is fertile and, and been plowed by God, listen to this as words from God to you. For this reason, we also constantly thank God. I'm in 1 first, first Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Thank God that when you, listen to this, receive the word, that's the seed going into the soil, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as words of men. Let's just stop right there. How many people base their salvation today because this preacher preached some message? I hear that all the time, particularly in the South. Man, I had this preacher, and he just, boy, said this, and it just got me, and I walked out all. Whoa, 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 whoa. He may have been the tool, but he didn't do any planting. He didn't do any farming. He, God did that. And notice what it says, which you heard from us, you accept it, not as the words of men, but for what it really is. Listen to this, the word of God. And look what it results in, which also performs the work in you who believe. There's the difference. That's the big difference. That's the difference of those three soils according to this one. Belief. And that's the greatest farming thing God does is he opens your mind and heart to belief in his son. 
Not to believe in religion. Not to believe in being a better person. Not to believe in attending church. He opens you to the Son. The Spirit blasts His truth into your heart and mind. And you go, I'm a sinner. I have no hope outside of Him. And you put your hope in Jesus Christ. That's our Lord. That's what gets you up in the morning. That's what gives you strength to keep going. That's what causes us to strive to have godly marriages and strive by the strength of God to raise children. Strive by strength to be good testimonies in the, in the community. If you're trying to do that without any of that, you're going to fail. This is what our God does. The truth of God's word sinks deep roots into your heart. That's why we teach the way we teach here. I, I can't give in to entertainment. I can't give in to a verse out of context and, and try to hope I can encourage you or motivate you in some way. It doesn't work. <laughs> so we work hard in the Word to stay to the text, stay within context, because we know that's what changes lives. We believe that. And it always isn't the most glamorous thing out there. <laughs> but it's God's Word that performs the work a belief in your heart. And you and I need that desperately. The world, nor its master Satan, can stop the saving effects of the Word of God. He can't do it. He can get to the hard soil. He can get to the thorny soil. He can get to the shallow soil. But he can't get to the good soil. Because God's working there. Here again, I believe Jesus is encouraging his disciples He's saying, look, you preach the word, and the word will fall on good soil. Yeah, there's plenty of hardness and shallowness and worldliness that's out there. But disciples, you go out, you be apostles, you be sent ones from me. You preach my word, and I'll prepare the hearts of people for that good news, and you'll see fruit. We believe that here. We really do. And that's why we work hard at discipling and want you in part of some kind of discipling because that's what he's preparing us so we can go out and give the, give the seed and it can fall on good soil. Now, notice in the text that there's a great blessing, there's a great harvest that comes from this. These prepared hearts not only just accept the gospel, but they grow fruit. And this is, I think, where we begin to realize, wow, hmm, is my heart really been plowed by God because it says here that it will produce fruit. And let me just say one thing real quick here because I don't think we're fruit inspectors at all that. I don't know if that's our job to do those things, but I sure see it as the graciousness of God to demonstrate whose are his and whose aren't. Particularly for me, for me to say, Scott, there's God's doing something in your life. Give him praise. You know, people talk about security of believers all the time. Certainly, we are secure in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, bar none. But one of the things he gives his children is evidence within their life. Isn't that nice of him? You don't walk around all life going, well, I said the prayer. I think I believe. No, he says, look, I'll show you beyond that. I'll show you that you'll produce things within you that you could not do yourself. You'll have a desire for, for community in the church. You'll have desire for lost people. You'll have desire for saved people. You'll have desire for the word. You'll want to know him. You'll want to worship him. These are all things that come out of us. Look with me at John 15. He's not done with this type of teaching. John chapter 15, verse 5. Hmm. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. You remember this? He who abides, this is that seed in me, right? This soil, he's in there. You can just see the terminology, all the agriculture terminology in me. And I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, what? You can do nothing. You can do nothing. You have to be rooted into the vine, right? We're just branches. <laughs> you got go home, cut a branch off, throw it in your yard, see how it does. You take your kids out there and say, well, let's go see how the branch is doing today. Not doing very well. We are alive because we're grafted in him. I have no hope in and of myself outside of, outside of him. Notice it goes on, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me. See, the seed isn't abiding on the road. It gets taken. It gets, it gets eaten. I mean, all those things here, it abides. He is thrown away as a branch dries up and gathers them and is cast into the fire and they are burned. Ooh, there's a little eschatology there. Little future times. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my word, words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know why? Because you'll ask according to his will, not yours. That's when you know you're actually living by the word because the things you request of God are marked in the scriptures. And then verse 8, my father is glorified by this. <laughs> what a great phrase. My father's glorified by this. That you're grafted into me and that you bear much fruit, so prove. <laughs> you catch that? So prove to be my disciples. Not you're proving, it's your bearing fruit proves what God did. He's still doing all the work, he still gets all the credit, but it's one of the ways we examine ourselves. God, have you, have you produced fruit in me? Is there anything hanging on the vine when somebody comes by? Maybe a dried up, shriveled apple from last year? Something? Is there fruit? See, this is seed and good soil. It creates fruit. Notice, there's so many verses to go along with this. Just thinking out loud real quick. I mean, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 2.10, he prepares these good works. On and on, list in my notes of, of verses. But, but notice at the end of verse 20, notice it's 30, it's 60, it's 100-fold. And you think about the farmer in the ancient world, he could not imagine these kind of yields. If they had 8%, they thought they were doing well, meaning one seed, eight, eight seeds from that, right? That was really good. Even today in modern farming where we have uh, power equipment can really turn the soil, uh, we can do uh, things that they couldn't do in that day. If we could get 15, 20, ooh, we're really happy with that. Jesus is talking about 30. He's talking about 60. He's talking about 100-fold. This is where the word of God does not return void, right? You put it in the ground, guess what's going to happen? It's going to produce. Then these good questions, is it producing? Is there a harvest in your life at all, right? And do you give praise to God for that harvest? God, man, thank you for that opportunity to share Christ with that guy. Uh, he's almost spit in my face, but Lord, do you let me do it? 
And I count it a blessing to, to share it with him. Or, Lord, Lord, thanks, that guy came to church. I've been sharing the Christ with it at work. And, or, Lord, they're going to come to Harvest Fest. Or, Lord, they're going to do this. Oh, thank you for producing fruit, Lord. I couldn't have done this without you. He loves to produce fruit. So when spirit-filled, Christ-exalting, gospel-saturated word is given out, it will result in supernatural works. So, believers, you're called to sow the seed of the Word of God. Don't tamper with it. Don't mess with it. It's perfectly good as it is. Don't give in. Hold to the Word. That's what we do. You are not to cultivate hearts. Notice in the text that he cultivates the good soil. You say, well, Scott, what do you mean there? Well, Hey, I just was talking to a dear couple. They're in here, so I won't look at them. Um, they said they remember growing up where a church would turn the heat up, blocking out the windows, and bring in like you were going to hell. Scare kids into salvation. Don't mess with the soil. God does that. It's not our job to convince you and scare you into something God's really good at saving he's really really good at it give him the word give him the word be faithful be passionate give him the word give him the word to some it'll smell like death I promise you it will there's three different soils that tell you that they'll all die all those three other soils, they all die. That seed died. It's not there. It all went away. So it is some negatives there, isn't it? But there are some who will smell eternal life through Jesus Christ. And he promises that. And so we humbly repent of our own sin. We wholeheartedly embrace Christ and we give the word out. We give the word out. Paul told Timothy, with gentleness and correcting those who are in opposition, these are false teachers, if perhaps God, listen to this, listen to the wording here, God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Wow, I love that verse. All right, Lord, discipline me, love me and discipline me, get me into a position where I can be used of you and you grant them repentance. I was a young pastor when I finally got my mind around that, that I didn't have to bring people to repentance. Boy, that was freeing. <laughs> that was freeing. And I've watched God bring many, many people to repentance, and I saved none of them. He did it. And he continues to do those sums because he loves to do these things. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead, hard-hearted, all that other stuff in our transgressions, he made us alive together in Christ, for by grace you've been saved. That's what he does. He loves to do this. And it should, brothers and sisters, bring great comfort to know that God supplies the seed of his word through the power of his spirit. He alone plows the soils of hearts and draws people to himself. He only asks us to be faithful, passionate, and obedient dispensers of his word. Be passionate, be obedient, hurt over the loss. Have you wept over people who are going to hell? See, I'm not talking about, the word, I mean, we are doctrines of grace people here. I mean, we love that God is sovereign in every area. But because of that, we weep over the loss. 
Don't let your heart grow cold. Paul said, I planted, apostle watered, but God caused the growth. Amen. Last thought, and then we'll close. The Messiah reveals the true nature of the heart. And these are just some points of application. 1 John 3, 9 and 10, just drop that down. No one who is born of God practices sin. It's an interesting translation there. In the original has an ongoing, can't stop sin problem. Pretty straightforward, right? No one who is born of God practices sin. This is 1 John 3, 9 and 10. Because his seed abides in him. <laughs> and he cannot sin. Because he is born of God. I mean, he can't stay in it. He repents eventually. He says, this person, this man, this woman, this boy, this girl can't. Because the seed of Christ is in him. Living with him. The spirit has is, is made his home there. You can't continue in it. Eventually you say, God, this is not of you. And you repent. That's what true believers do. And then verse 10, this is such a clear verse. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Ooh. It's obvious. So just a couple of thoughts here. How do I know if I'm in the first three soils or in the last? Let me just give you just some thoughts here. Well, one, there's no harvest. There's no harvest. You don't have any fruit that brings God glory. Look at your life. If you're in here and you say, I, I might be in one of those three soils, those first three soils, there's no fruit that's genuine that you could share. Go to the word of God and say, this is genuine fruit produced by God. There's just no harvest. It's a barren field. It's a barren. Weeds have taken over. The rocks are there. Pathway, so on. So there's no harvest. There's no inward change. I think that's really important because there's only an outward change. I call it the burden of show. It's a great burden. A lot of people have to carry that burden. They got to come on Sundays because they were raised to go to church and they have to carry the burden of show. It's a terrible burden. You got to act like a Christian when you're not. And you don't even know it. You're just doing it because you've been culturally directed that way by a society that maybe was Christian or your family was Christian and so you carry this burden of show. It's a terrible burden. And you're in here one day or another church or and yeah, praise God, and the next day there's just nothing there. You carry the burden of show. There's a soon a loss of appetite for the things of God and His Word. They go away quickly. You hear a message like this, you say, wow, that was good, I need to think about that, and you never do. There's just no desire. There's misuse of spirituality. You're into whatever the hottest Christian thing is because that makes you feel better. Because you know enough that if you're not saved, you're going to go to hell. And so you try to grasp onto whatever Christian thing going on and whatever the hot ten books down at the Christian bookstore. I don't think we even have those. Whatever it is, um, you grab onto that because that makes you feel good. So it's the Word of Faith movement. You grab that. You grab whatever because you just grasping to try to hang on to some spirituality because it's not coming from inside you. There's constant self-justification and even now you may be hearing this sermon and you're trying to justify and you're mad at me. You're trying to self-justify. Look, I'm not in that soil. I prayed the prayer, I walked the aisle, I raised a hand, I did all that stuff. Get off my back. 
And so you find yourself with just self-justification. It's a miserable place. Because if God hasn't justified you through Jesus Christ alone, you're not justified. And the redeemed, the justified, know they are by the grace of God. There's a humility that comes with that. And, and then you lost joy. In fact, you maybe never, and I would say this probably biblically, you had never had joy. You've had some happiness. But you don't have joy. Remember this, Judas was with Jesus at this sermon He was with Jesus to the door of the cross and at the door rejected him. See, this sermon, this message Jesus gave here is so important to understand. Now, let's end with a positive. Has God given you a desire? Has he plowed your heart, in other words? And so how do I know that, God? Well, the result of good soil is there's an increasing harvest. Did you catch those words? There's an increasing harvest. I'm loving the Lord more. Now, look, those who have been through DTP, we draw a chart of progressive sanctification, and, and we realize that, hey, we wish it was just like, boy, I'm sure growing just like Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's probably more like this. But as life goes on, those massive dips and sorrows and lack of joy in those difficult times, they start to flatten out a little more because we're growing in the image of Jesus Christ. And he gives you increasing harvest. You know the word like you've never known it before. Sermons and your Bible reading, they resonate with you. You're, you're starting to be captured by this. And you know, this is very important, that it started inside here, not outside. You know that God got a hold of your inside, and then it translates to the outside in time. So you'll never hear us preach from the pulpit of, a bunch of lists of things to look like on the outside. We preach to the heart. And the outside will come along. It'll follow your heart. There's a hunger and delight for the word. Do you hunger for God's truth? And when you get it, is it delightful? When you get the word of God in your mouth, spiritually speaking, do you go, mm, mm, that's good? Or is it bitter? I mean, these are questions we must ask. Then, does it allow you to submit to the Spirit of God? Do you submit to His Spirit? I have given you this for a life. Man, that's a tough one. But the seed in good soil says, God, I probably would have done something different in my human mind. I would have chose a different path, but you gave me this, whatever that is. I accept it. And by your grace and mercy, I'll walk with you through this. Will you help me? See, that's seed in good soil. And, and there's so many things we could add, but you love the church. <laughs> you don't want to be anywhere else. You want to be with the church. This is your family. This is who you're going to go spend eternity with, and you desire to fellowship and serve. You're not a you know, one hour a week type of person, you're, you're, you're involved in the church. It doesn't mean you make every service because you travel or whatever, but, but you desire to be with the church. Why would you not want to be growing with the rest of the good seed? See, these are things that mark and tell you from the Word of God if you're in good soil. This is a hard sermon, isn't it? 
And all of us have people in our lives that we wonder. But I think it starts with us. What kind of soil are you in? Has God plowed your heart? Can you put the Word of God into it deep? Can you feel the roots growing deeper? And when the winds and the difficulty things of life blow, you've got deep roots in the Word. And no hurricane of the world can produce can uproot you. You say, well, Scott, I, I might not be there, but I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> I can feel those roots going down for the first time. Praise the Lord. If not, if not, please don't leave this room. Remember, the reason the three soils don't produce any hard heart, I mean, produce any uh, fruit, is because of unbelief. Lord, help our unbelief. Father, thank you for few moments in your word out of a busy life we live down here. Lord, we're in the world, but we're trying not to be of it. We think that you're worthy to live for, Lord. And yet it's difficult at times. And I pray this morning for my own heart and the heart of these dear brothers and sisters and anyone else that's in this room, Lord. I pray that you would reveal the soil they're in. And they would do one of two things, Lord. You would cause them to come to repentance and repent of sin and beg you for salvation. And you would plant them into good soil. You would save them. And for those of us, Lord, that humbly confess that you put us by your work into good soil, we give you praise. Because if you would have left at us, we would have chose probably the bad soil. So, Lord, thank you for your salvation. Lord, before we close this prayer, I would ask that if there's anyone in here, Lord, that is struggling, Lord, right now, plunge into their heart. Don't let them leave, Lord. They can pray right where they're at. You know all men and women and children's hearts. You're looking right into them at this moment, Lord. And so we ask you to do great work here. In Jesus' name, amen.